Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. I am here with a good friend, Mr. Lauren Sutherland. She, he is a journalist and commentator for the Rebel Media and uh, is known for his, her on-the-ground coverage, notably of the Vancouver Slut Walk, the Calais Jungle Migrant Camp, the Milwaukee Riots, and a variety other of SJW baiting endeavors. Please, please follow her most entertaining uh, Twitter feed at twitter.com slash Lauren Underbar Southern. And you can follow her on The Rebel, where you can get her excellent shows. You can see them on YouTube as well. TheRebel.media slash Lauren Southern. No underbar, because that's diversity. Uh, Lauren, uh, great to have you with us. Uh, how are you doing today? Thanks for having me. And just for reference, just him works great. They, them. That works as well. Uh, I could go and grab my ID so people understand what you're talking about. Would you like to? I think that's not a bad yeah, place to yeah, start. Yeah, I'll do that. All right. Here's, um, can you see that? I don't know. Uh, tilt it uh, top forward a bit. Yeah, you go. There you go. Can you see that M there? Yeah. Yeah, I- I'm a man. <laughs> well, I thought that was M for masochist because you enjoy tweaking lefties, but uh, it's M for man. Uh, would <laughs> it you is like M to, for man. Would you like to mention a little bit about this remarkable transformation? Your voice doesn't seem deeper. Your hair seems uh, the same length. Uh, and uh, how, how did this come about that you made this transition so fast, um, given how slow the medical system is in Canada? It just seems amazing mm-hmm. how quickly you did this turnaround. Well, just to correct you there, my IQ is slowly going up, and so is my pay right now. It's like <laughs> making a slow transformation. It's pretty good. Uh, but basically, I walked into a doctor's office, told them I feel like a dude, just literally put my hair up in a baseball cap. Like, I looked like, you know, when 10-year-olds joke around and dress up and just throw their hair up. I, I looked ridiculous, and they said, all right, you be you. In fact, the doctor told me, this was one of the most shocking parts, is um, I guess I can't know for sure. So I'll just trust you. The doctor is trusting me with my biology. They're trusting me with my psychology to self-diagnose. And then the government, they were even happier to uh, indulge in my fantasy when I went up to them wearing full makeup, heels, long hair down, and uh, simply said I would like to be a man on my ID. And the clerk immediately started referring to me as sir. I'm sorry, sir. Let me help you out. I don't want this to be a struggle. Quite. (laughs) <laughs> just denying what was in front of her eyes with no problem. And you know what? I can't blame these people. They're afraid they'll get fired from their jobs if they state the obvious, quite frankly, just like the people in Europe right now that have these men with beards coming into their elementary school classrooms posing as refugees. We are all way too afraid of confrontation. We won't even state the truth when it is right in front of our eyes. It's phenomenal. It is a remarkable thing. And the idea that one's subjective experience determines things. I watched the video. We'll put a link to it below. And the doctor says, well, basically, I can't argue with your subjective experience because there's mm-hmm. no way to prove whether you do or don't feel like a man. There's ways to prove whether you biologically are or are not a man, but your subjective feelings, and I think that's really fascinating, just you know, philosophically speaking, mm-hmm. that when you have um, subjective experiences that can't be verified or people refuse to verify them according to any external facts, you could simply say, I am a black man. You could say, I'm an elderly Chinese lady. You could say any of these things. Now, how can people disagree with you if what you're doing is confronting them with your subjective experience? And that's the great dangers of subjectivism or subjectivity. There's no objective rationale by which to mediate these kinds of disputes. You see this, of course, Mm -hmm. with um, religious conflicts and so on, where people have faith in particular things. You don't see it quite as much in science or mathematics or physics because there's kind of an objective methodology, the scientific uh, method, and uh, an objective frame of reference, i.e., 
empirical reality. But when it comes to subjective experience, that to me is where the real balkanization of society occurs. And if this, what, yeah. if this is what you feel, who can argue you out of it? Who can tell you you're wrong? Well, this is the worst part about it is so many people don't see the issue with this. They say, well, okay, fine, it might be counter to what the reality is, but who is it hurting? Who is it harming? How does it hurt you if someone walks into a medical office and they start identifying them as the opposite gender or a cat or anything? How does that harm you? Well, the consequences tend to come later, first of all, like what we're dealing with here in Canada, where we've, we've indulged so much that now we are in creating laws to appease this minority, making it illegal for people to not uh, to use the wrong pronouns. So those consequences usually come over, come later and you recognize them. But the most important consequence, I think, is simply our honesty and objectivity as a society. Is it really worth giving up our sanity or our objectivity simply to appease a very small minority of people that are, in most cases, using it for political reasons so you will speak their language? Well, it's funny, you know, because I was thinking about this. And, you know, if, if somebody does genuinely experience things as the opposite gender, I mean, the female brain and the male body or whatever, I don't think there's any objective test for that. And I, f I feel sympathy for that. I mean, that must be a very challenging thing. However, mm -hmm. when people come to me and say, oh, Steph, you've got to, you know, bend the law, bend reality, bend medical facts in order to appease uh, people who have a particular experience. I mean, part of me is like, well, I can't understand where, where people are coming from. But on the other hand, I don't know that society has spent a lot of time trying to make me feel sort of included, you know, sort of white yeah. male experience where it's like, well, you're a sexist, you're a racist, you're a homophobe. When I was in graduate school, surveying down the tunnel of time saying, hmm, I wonder if I'd like to become a professor. I doth like to profess quite a bit. Uh, and people were like, well, you know, as a white male, it's going to be kind of tough because, you know, there's all this diversity hiring and, and, and gender preference hiring for women and so on. So nobody worried about making me feel included. In fact, they... Right. We're very, very happy to make me feel specifically excluded uh, from from society and feel like a bad person and, and stack the deck against me. So then when people come and say, well, Steph, you need to really work hard to make other people feel included. I'm like, I don't know that there's a lot of deposits in that inclusion bank in my heart. Right. It would be really fun. I, and I can see the appeal of this world. I really can. I would love to go out in my pajamas with my hair all a mess, just wake up in the morning, super comfy and a identify as beautiful and gorgeous and have people forced to refer to me as that, uh, forced to date me because I identify as your girlfriend. What a world to live in. This is literally the dream world where you're uh, sleepwalk, you're, you're, um, you can control your dream and make everything the perfect reality you want it to be. Unfortunately, that isn't the world we live in. Um, oh, funny story, actually. We've got this uh, guy in BC, we have the New Democratic Party there in BC, they're a legitimate party in Canada, and they've brought in a new policy saying any MLA that gets kicked out of their seat or loses their seat or retires has to be replaced by a woman or a man of equity-seeking groups. And we just had an uh, MLA get in and be nominated who was a white male, and everyone was extremely confused, and he identified, this just happened last week, as a mystery minority so he told everyone he was a mystery minority and was too uncomfortable to talk about it got the nomination beat a woman who was in a wheelchair <laughs> who should have gotten nominated based on the ridiculous policy uh later he said he was bi but honestly i think he faked it just because there was so much outrage over the mystery minority thing so you really can use this subjective reality to compete with 
um, to compete with these SJWs and their ridiculous policies when you want a full male board and you're in a Scandinavian country where you have to have 50% females, just get all of the guys in your staff to do the same thing I did and <laughs> go get female, okay, flip a coin, who's going to get female identification cards, right? It, it really is, not only is it harmful for the rest of society, but it's going to backfire on them eventually when everyone starts learning how to play the game. Well, I, I like your thinking, Lauren, but I would suggest that you're not thinking radical enough because uh, you've probably heard of this uh, group of people called Otherkins. So I think, I think simply having two genders on a board uh, is, is not nearly uh, diverse enough. Uh, I think you need the full Dungeons & Dragons panel P of people sitting around the desk. I mean, people can self-identify as unicorns, as vampires, as dragons, as uh, halflings. I think you need the full Dungeons & Dragons party sitting around the desk. Okay, to the untrained eye, they may look like a bunch of silver-haired white men. But on the other hand, wouldn't it be really, really cool uh, to bring just a wide variety of fantastical creatures? There aren't enough griffins, I think, or hydras uh, in in uh, the top levels of business and, and politics these days. And uh, that, I think, would be the proper way to diversify. We're going to have to have 10% of our blood donations go to people who self-identify as vampires, especially in our free healthcare country. I mean, that'll, that'll be the day. That'll be the day where we truly have diversity and, and at least one attack helicopter. And uh, thank, thank you for introducing me to that meme. I, I read it out recently with a shout out to you. Uh, and people found it in extraordinarily uh, wonderful that people can sexually identify as an attack helicopter. And uh, it's... It's, it's a wonderful meme, and it works every single time, every single time. So let's dip into some of this voter fraud stuff. Um, sure. <clears throat> you're, you're fairly comfortable. I'm going to do a little tiny rant, because this voter fraud stuff, uh, rigging elections, uh, is something that uh, everybody is pretending to be shocked about on the left. On the left, they're pretending to be shocked about it. But there's sort of two things that popped into my mind, uh, which were to do with the last election or two. Uh, Benghazi. Of course, you know, the fact that Al-Qaeda attacked American soil, killed an ambassador, some other people on the anniversary of 9-11, right before an election, and this information was suppressed from the public, uh, that they, you know, Hillary Clinton blamed uh, an internet video and, and threw someone in jail for that, even though she knew it was false, uh, and confessed uh, as such to the head of uh, Egypt and mm -hmm. to her own daughter, Chelsea. If the um, voters had had that information, I'm sure the election would have gone the other way. So the suppression of that information, right. complete voter fraud. Uh, secondly, the second thing that popped to mind was this IRS uh, deal where the IRS in America was refusing uh, to assign charitable status to conservative groups and only conservative groups, it seems, and were demanding uh, voter uh, the donator lists and, and other kinds of endless paperwork and vaguely threatening. There have been significant calculations that simply the IRS refusing to grant charitable status to conservative groups swung the election from the conservatives mm -hmm. to uh, from from the republicans to the democrats uh, how about bringing in masses of third world immigrants who are going to reliably vote on the left isn't that kind of rigging the election i mean this three off the top of my head now the fact that all of this stuff has come out in the podesta emails and these fantastic james o'keefe videos makes it more visceral to people but this election rigging seems to be going on for quite a while and uh, there doesn't seem to be quite as much focus on the stuff that's clearly already happened and everybody accepts. But this stuff going forward seems to be getting more people's attention. Well, you know, I don't think you quite understand that you sound like an insane conspiracy theorist right now making all this stuff up. The election is not rigged. It's all going to go smoothly. These are just crazy conspiracy theorists on the side. No, I... I can't handle the people who are coming out here and saying there is nothing suspicious. You're all being conspiracy theorists. Um, you have people 
like Elizabeth Warren saying the system is rigged. Obama has said the system is rigged. They all know it. They all know people are trying whatever they possibly can to get their party to win. And in this case of um, the Project Veritas videos, you had a few guys that looked like they were just cheating on their own and trying to rip up ballots and it had nothing to do with the Democrats. But then you find out these connections are being made that the Hillary Clinton DNC was making calls with them and coordinating with them. So it, more and more solid, absolute evidence is coming out that this is happening. This legitimate fraud, legitimate rigging of elections is happening. And you still have the mainstream media going on and on about yourself and others talking about this being crazy conspiracy theorists. I mean, it's, it's scary. It's scary how, how much denial they're in right now from the reality that is being shown. Well, I mean, I mean the only so the only way they're keeping people from it is by people like CNN saying, you can't read these emails. You have to have <laughs> us interpret it for you. It, literally saying it is illegal for you to read the emails on your own. Only it's different for the media. Only we can interpret for you so we can give you the safe version that doesn't show you everything is rigged. I mean, it's like they're turning these emails into the medieval Catholic Bible. You know, it's only available in ancient Aramaic. Only the priests can read it. We'll tell you what's in it. But by the way, give us some money. I mean, it's like, didn't we have a whole Protestant Reformation to get the facts into the hands of the people? And it's false anyway. You can read the, the, the courts have decided very clearly you can read the stuff that's illicit. You can't steal it, but you can certainly read it. But this idea of like, stay away from the facts if you get anywhere close to the facts it's like kryptonite it will burn you it will disassemble your soul you'll break an arm just yeah. putting your hand near that screen uh it's mad and and remember how when trump was saying that he would cover the costs legal costs of anybody who was attacked and and so on that uh he was inciting violence and all this violent rhetoric and all this crazy stuff that was going on and and giffords was shot because there were crosshairs uh, on particular electoral maps uh, i think sarah palin's even though um, Dem Democrats have used exactly the same kind of graphic, that everything that the right does is an incitement to violence, even though there's no violence from the right and there doesn't seem to be any particular incitement to violence on the right. But, you know, mere words tossed aside in casual conversation are absolute yeah. incitements to violence. But here you have top-level Democratic operatives saying we're going to get crazy people, we're going to get homeless people to go and attack Trump supporters right there on tape, no doubt about it, very, very clear. Say, well, there's no proof it was it was ever it was ever actually done. It's like, well, they're saying they're going to do it, and there was a lot of violence at some Trump rallies, and yeah. that seems like, you know, it's it's a trail. Is it a smoking gun? I don't know, after an investigation or whatever, but the left now saying, well, you know, these are just words. They're, it's, 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 um, Oh, what, what the New York Times referred to it as unseemly, unseemly, you know, like, oh, you, you, you've shown just a little bit too high of an ankle in your Victorian skirt. It's extremely unseemly. It's like, no, you're paying people to go beat people up. This is terrorism. You're paying people to go beat people up for the sake of a political advantage. Yeah. That is out and out terrorism. It's, it's just locker room banter. Just going to grab him by the Trump sign. It's all good. <laughs> and this guy it's, went yeah. to the White House, what, over 300 times? Uh, Creamer, his name is? Yeah. 300 times! And he's coming on with the most astounding stuff. <sighs> it's it's hilarious to, to listen to these videos where they're kind of planning it out. They're like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Let's get some women here. People 
love when women are attacked and then we'll get some Trump supporters yelling them down and shoving them around and they're planning this out. They pointed out, Fogel pointed out the, in one video, I, I can't remember who it was, um, one of the Republicans that was in the primaries where they ripped the sign down and got in a fight at the front and he was saying, we did that. We did that. He took ownership of it. This isn't just conspiracy. This isn't just banter. They took ownership for some of these things that happened. And as you know, I ran into Fogel, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, when I was in Milwaukee and he was pointing at protesters. We were sitting beside each other for a half hour, hour, and he was pointing at protesters, telling them where to go. They were asking uh, him what to do. He told me personally, we are busing people out to the other area where they were having a Trump uh, rally and to Sherman Park, where the place was burned down by Black Lives Matter protesters. Now, I don't know if those guys were his, but he said they were sending protesters out there. I don't know if they were the peaceful or the violent ones. Who knows? But I know firsthand, just, of course, people watching don't have to uh, believe me because I'm giving my firsthand opinion. Just you, This is just a trust thing. I did upload a photo of him at the event I was at, but this is just what happened. I'm saying what's happened. I don't have any 100% proof of it, but um, he did tell me this personally, that they were sending these to all these different locations where the Trump rallies were going on. So when I saw this, I was like, wow, I, I was shocked. And you know what's funny is when I initially happened, it didn't seem that shocking to me. I just kind of thought paid protesters and bust out protesters were just, yeah, that happens. It's not, <laughs> I figured everyone knew it. So I didn't think to do a Project Veritas record him undercover thing as I, I should have, I should have, and I wish I did. Well, uh, remember how Trump was, uh, and, and this, this is still being brought up by Hillary Clinton in the debates, that Trump was mocking some disabled guy. Now, he mm -hmm. uses, and uh, Ann Coulter's done a great bit on this, so I won't go to but he uses the same kind of, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, this sort of wandering hand stuff, and turned out this guy has a, a disability with his uh, arms. And so everyone's like, oh, you're making fun of a disabled person, even though mm -hmm. he uses the same gesture for everyone that he disagrees with. So apparently, you see, it's just, it's terrible to use disabled people to make fun of disabled people and so on. 69-year-old woman. I don't know if you've heard yes. <laughs> this story. 69-year-old woman, she's wearing an oxygen tank. And she heckled some visually impaired 73-year-old Trump supporter. And then she sort of chased him or pursued him. Now, she then claimed that he cracked her one, he punched her in the jaw. She had no visible injury. And now there's attorneys involved and all this kind of stuff. And um, the, the media is all over this, right? Oh, you see this disabled woman and so on, right? And um, now, of course, Demo Democratic operatives in the O'Keefe videos uh, say, oh, no, she's a trained activist and now she's changing her story he says well now it's possible that the guy just touched her accidentally and and so on so is it is it worse and i ask people to get your moral compasses recalibrated is it worse to be misinterpreted as making fun of a disabled person or is it worse to use a disabled person as a reportedly trained operative to disrupt a rally yeah. relying on people's sympathy for disabled people in order to change a political narrative and attack and slander and bring charges against and bring lawyers involved at that to me is unbelievably despicable and this um the depths to which these people are willing to go. Whitaker Chambers, uh, when he mm -hmm. switched from communism to, to non-communism or anti-communism, 
um, and and opposed uh, the communists. You know, they invented stories like, uh, oh, his brother killed himself because he was having a romantic affair with his own brother. And he's like, he said, he sort of exclaimed at one point, what kind of monsters am I dealing with that this kind of stuff would come up? That phrase sort of been rolling around in my mind that you'd use the 69-year-old woman wearing an oxygen tank as a trained political operative to disrupt and frighten people at a Trump rally. What kind of monsters are we dealing with here? Well, no, it's it's very, very sad. And the, the funnier part is not funny, actually, just the scary part is how the media is working with them to portray the same image that these radicals that are hiring mentally ill people are trying to portray. They took that story, and I read it probably from five different uh, places, and initially after reading it, I thought, this is really bad for the Trump campaign. Yeah, this young punk punching old lady, that's really bad, that's awful. And then I start to see video come out, I start to find more information. I found out this was a guy in his 70s that was blind. In none of these mainstream articles did I find that he was a 70-year-old visually impaired guy. And then I more and more information comes out. Turns out they've got this video of her heckling him. And boom, the whole story is is gone. It's It didn't even happen. But all of the mainstream media portrayed it in the perfect way that these radical activists wanted it to be portrayed. So who are we going to trust? Um, it's, it's very, very scary. The delightful thing, of course, is the worse they, the worse they get, the better we look, and uh, more mm-hmm. people come to to your side and to my side to get some uh, some basic facts. Because the degree to which the mainstream media went completely crazy over Corey Lewandowski supposedly pushing Michelle Fields, uh, elbowing her or grabbing at her, and so on, right? I mean, that was just that was crazy. That was absolutely terrible. And now, of course, we have not, and that story turned out to be, uh, it seemed completely fabricated and, and nonsense, and the charges were dropped and all that kind of stuff. So when there's this murky incident where a head of security um, uh, heads uh, grabs, supposedly grabs this reporter, and everybody goes completely mental. But when you have high-level Democrat operatives talking about instigating violence, direct violence, and yeah. paying people to instigate violence, that seems to me a tad more relevant. And I just need people to understand the complete disproportion of this coverage, uh, you know, they, they, the, the left-wing media had to be reluctantly dragged through endless social media shaming and calling out to finally cover the story where, you know, basically uh, it's like trying to get Democrats to talk about Democratic wrongdoing. It's like trying to push two giant opposite magnets together. And like, well, the, the, these people, they aren't scared of they aren't scared of the mainstream media. They're not scared of being exposed by them. They are afraid of us. And I know that Fulwalt knew who I was when I went to that rally. He sat me down and he said, oh, you're Lauren Southern. Nice to meet you. These top DNC operatives know who we are. They know we're the alternative media that are going to expose them and talk about them and tell the truth. And when we met, he was extremely nice to me because it's all about the image they're portraying. It's all about that what are people going to see? This is a media girl who wants to slander me. I'm going to be as nice as I possibly can. Behind closed doors with all of uh, my other Democrats, we're going to talk about hiring ment- mentally ill people, cheating to rig the election. We're going to talk about uh, just awful, awful things. But what, as soon as the cameras are there, we've got the skit ready. We've got the skit ready for whoever it is, whether it be the alternative media, who we're very afraid of, who we're going to put on our smiles with and invite them to go to gay bars, or we're going to put on the old lady getting punched skit for the uh, mainstream media that are going to sell it perfectly. And it's all a show. All of this, all of it, it's all distractions. None of it matters. 
I don't care who got punched at the Hillary rally. I don't care who got punched at the Trump rally. I don't care what locker room banter you had. I don't care what you said in a plane 10 years ago. All of this is distractions. What matters is policy and what people should be voting on is policy. But no one cares about that anymore because they have been distracted. The goalposts have been moved. They are playing games with the public. Well, what policies can the left run on other than a continuation yeah. of what Barack Obama has done and given where America, if not the West, has ended up <clears throat> as a result? And, and see, I, I include America and the West because, you know, all the dominoes that fell as the result of Secretary Clinton when she was Secretary of State uh, getting involved in, in Libya, uh, uh, talking up. Uh, problems uh, in in Syria. All of this stuff has helped to disintegrate the Middle East, bringing wave after wave of economic migrants and and refugees into Europe. Uh, it has now destabilized Syria to the point where you've got Russia in there. Uh, you've got uh, Hillary Clinton uh, still advocating a no-fly zone, like it's just something with a swatter, like it's just magic. They've got magic rays that keep planes on the ground. They're, they're going to put bananas in the tailpipes of the planes and chain them. No, you're going to have to shoot down Russian planes if you want a no-fly zone. Is that how the world ends over a broken piece of desert? I mean, good God, what what can they run on? This is why they have to go to slander, because the policies are so horrendous. When you don't have good enough policies, you have to either... You have to appeal to emotions, and that's what this whole campaign has been, appealing to emotions, whether it be, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, Trump raped this person, Trump assaulted this person, let's go and scour the earth for every woman Trump has ever talked to and personally message every single one of them trying to get one story. Uh, it's it's all distractions. None of it matters. And you know what? It, I just saw this recently happen uh on Trump's side, there's this YouTuber named Joey Salads, and he made this video about a car being destroyed by black people in a black neighborhood that had Trump stickers all over. And it was an entirely faked video. And it's like, man, we don't need that on either side. The victim complex. Wait, that video was faked? I, <laughs> I know. It's surprising. It, yeah, no, that video was faked. And it's, it's frustrating because it both, of course, the Hillary side of things is has been doing it far more successfully and planned and with people working with the DNC. And this was just one crazy YouTuber. But on either side, it is embarrassing to resort to, I'm the victim, vote for me. That is not, it's not an argument, as uh, a certain someone would well, say. That, that's quite a catchphrase. I, let me write that down. That could go over well with the younger folk. But, um, and this, this is really frustrating that, of course, this is where late stage democracy gets to. And uh, this mudslinging contest has always been part uh, of democracy. But, uh, you know, even going back and listening to like Nixon versus JFK, uh, those kinds of debates, the Lincoln-Douglas debates, oh, oh, the days when there was oratory uh, and and not just this base mudslinging and, and bribery. Now, you've talked in your videos recently about voter fraud. And um, right. I wonder if you could help sort of people understand there seems to be an Aristotelian mean somewhere in here. No, the whole thing isn't stolen, but it also isn't one in a billion uh, either. And outside the stuff that we've been talking about, which is directly voter manipulation, and we'll get to sort of the busing people to different states and all that in a Mm -hmm. second. What is the evidence that voter fraud is a significant issue in America? Well, first of all, there's the Pew Research evidence that shows um, that there's around 18 million uh, registered voters that have totally inaccurate information. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're cheating or anything, but that that shouldn't be happening in a properly working democracy. And then the even more shocking part is... I'm sorry to interrupt you just after I asked you to start. I'm sorry, just before I forget the no, point. No, no problem. Um, 
So, so basically, 18 million, you said, right? Okay, so after 12 years of government education, they can't fill out a basic form. That's my first thought. Uh, and it's funny how they need to raise the minimum wage by force after the government has had them for 12 years and spit them out as, equi- as like economically useless bits of toilet paper, mentally. Also, they can't even fill out a form, but it's really great that they get to vote on whether there should be a no-fly zone in Syria. How wonderful. How, how should the trillions of dollars of, of resources the government has be specifically allocated to make it better? Well, maybe you can fill out your address and I can start to take you seriously as a voter. Okay, I'm done. Okay, I just I didn't oh, want that to stick in my the, brain like a kidney stone. Go ahead, please. Oh, absolutely. It's the same with the ID thing where they say it's racist to want people to have ID. Who can't? Get an ID card. I'm sorry, but it's it's kind of racist for you to, to suggest black people are incapable of getting basic ID that you need for most things in life. Uh, it's it's very sad. But the more shocking uh, Pew Research thing was the two million dead registered voters. Now, <laughs> the voting dead. Now a series on Netflix. Dead. Yeah, yeah. Now so many people are like, oh, uh, not all those people. They're just registered. They're not necessarily voting. Uh, it's <laughs> That's not that significant. Well, I mean, how many people voted last election? 130 million something? That's, that's 2 million. And then you've got your, your 19 million uh, improper voter registrations. Yeah, that's significant. I'm sorry. And they have solid proof in California. They did an undercover investigation just in a few cities finding, yes, dead people are voting year after year. And... Um, I think it was two-thirds of the people that are registered dead voters are Democrats. That doesn't necessarily predict who they voted for. But, I mean, it could suggest whose families are voting for their dead relatives. It could suggest... Um, and also a lot of the voter fraud does happen in very Democratic inner-city areas, which is Rudy Giuliani's argument for why he says... He quote was just quoted recently saying, I'm sorry, but dead people typically vote. Democrat. <laughs> well, and I, so I think the takeaway is um, we, we want to provide as much value as possible to our mutual viewer base, um, obviously facts, right. information, entertainment. But here's a fantastic safety tip that really people need to be uh, aware of. So if you are in America, say on November the 8th, and the sun is going down, and the mist and the fog is beginning to flow across the horizon, do not be anywhere near a graveyard, because that is the day when the hands become jamming their way up through the mossy green, pry apart the stones, and people will come out and drag their brain-dead state to a polling booth to forehead slam and maybe leave an eyeball print or maybe even their entire eyeball on the Democrat thing. And the fact that brain-dead people vote Democrat is enjoyable enough of an analogy, but just stay safe out there. Do not go near a graveyard. The Democrats will be emerging to vote. You know, maybe they've just done a better job uh, at reaching out to the undead voter. I mean, has Trump really put anything in his platform for undead people? I don't know. <laughs> Free brains for everyone. <laughs> well, and of course, you know, maybe it's in the other kin analogy, you know, to tie these various things together, they just self-identify as living. Uh, and, uh, you know, who, who can argue if their subjective experience uh, in the shattered see-through head uh, that is currently half falling off their body, if their subjective experience is that they're alive, well, just get the check mark and off you go. Yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, it, it, it's really horrifying to think about. And I know a lot of people are going to think, oh, Lauren, this, this doesn't happen that often. It's rare. Uh, well, First of all, we don't really know how rare it is. A lot of people would suggest it's not that rare. And second of all, even if it is not as pervasive as I think it is, one 
dead person's vote cancels out a living person's legitimate vote. That is an attack on democracy, no matter how small it is. And I personally think it's big enough to swing an election, not necessarily all the dead people, but all the people are busting out, all of the invalid registrations, people voting in the wrong states, which has been proven by Project Veritas, and these dead people, I think that's enough to sway an election. But even if you don't think it is, it is important, and it is important to talk about because it cancels out people's democratic rights when dead people vote. Um, <laughs> when dead people vote, the new Wes Craven movie. But uh, <laughs> the the thing is, too, that um, it, it certainly, I think it certainly is enough to, to swing uh, an election. Otherwise, nobody would bother. Like, this is the voter yeah. fraud only matters if you can swing an election. Like, if you were to say to people... No matter what you do, it's not going to have an effect, like the, the operatives or the people who might be organizing this stuff. If you were to say to them, no matter what happens, there's no way it can alter the outcome of the election, they wouldn't bother doing it. This is a sort of a basic understanding of incentives thing. The reason they do it is they believe that it will be enough to swing the election. That's the only reason people engage in this kind of fraud, because there are, of course, risks associated with it, right? You might have some uh, guy with a hidden camera recording you, and then you might be in significant trouble. So it's sort of like insurance fraud. Like if you were to say to someone, okay, you can try this insurance scam, but there's absolutely no way you're going to get any kind of payout, well, people wouldn't bother because there's risks associated without the payoff. So just based on, you know, human motivation actions, the people who are engaging in election fraud believe that it is enough to change the outcome of the election. And uh, if they believe it, and they're the experts, because they seem to be doing it a lot, as the guy says, we've been doing it for 50 years, the Democrat yeah. guy. So if they're still doing it, they're the experts. I'm going to assume they're doing it for some reason. Yeah. And um, you've just got a few videos from Project Veritas that show uh, the, the young volunteers tearing up Republican voter mail cards and saying, oh, we don't give the... Uh, vote by mail cards to Republicans. We only give them to Democrats because it's easier, right? Now, I'm 100% I'm certain that Project Veritas didn't go to every state and every Democratic office. <laughs> just to America. find the one. Yeah, yeah, just to find the one. They went to a few in their area and guaranteed that situation is happening in a lot of other states as well. Just imagine how many other states this is happening at if they can get away with it so easily in just these few places that were being watched by Project Veritas. That is a lot of vote-by-mail things being ripped up. That is a lot of dead voters. That is a lot of improper people voting in the wrong states to uh, sway where it goes. That's It will have a significant impact, and it's impossible to deny. And I, I can't understand why we've got these people that are so obsessed with not believing there's anything going on behind their back. In my opinion, they're just as bad as the, I think I said this last time I was on here, they're just as bad as the people who think the government is run by lizards. They're the people who think nothing is going on behind my back. Nothing is uh, wonky here in this system. When you have politicians saying it straight to your face, this is rigged, this is rigged, this is rigged, and they still won't believe it. It's almost like uh, when you have ISIS shoot up uh, an area and then they say it's for a lot post on their social media this was for isis call the police up hey we did this for isis and a lot and then everyone's like oh no links to islam no links to islam and they're sitting there like we we told you we told you no politicians are telling you it's rigged they're telling you it's rigged over and over again and you still don't believe them it's amazing <laughs> well i think the basic principle is the people in power say that the elections aren't rigged because that legitimizes the the vote that got them into power. And the people who want to get into power are concerned about the 
uh, voters being votes being rigged. Also wanted to mention, since you did mention the lizard people, um, uh, I think it's fair to guess as well, there will probably be, conservatively speaking, between 150 and 175,000 lizard people voting. Uh, self-identifying as a lizard. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep this other kitten going because it still blows my mind completely because, you know, when I was a kid, that was called being crazy. Right. And now it's called being uh, uh, diverse. But um, yeah, this, so let's talk a little bit about some of the O'Keefe stuff that came out about the busing stuff. I had to watch it a couple of times. I'm not sure because, you know, my brain just doesn't work that way. And and. People are saying, well, it's not a big factor as well. And look, thieves want you to not have an alarm system. Thieves want to tell you there's no problem with theft. So you leave your door unlocked and, and so you, you don't have an alarm system and, and uh, you know, nobody mm-hmm. bothers to pick up your mail. So everybody who wants to steal from you wants to convince you that theft isn't a problem. So the moment that somebody says to me, oh, there's no big problem with election fraud, how could there be a big risk? It's because they want to benefit from election fraud, either directly or indirectly. I mean, they're just covering it up because they want to lull people's defenses and lower their skepticism so they can get away with more. But this stuff with the busing, uh, if I understand this correctly, uh, they're trying to get people who vote in one state to be able to go and vote in another state, which is, of course, not legal. And they had a bunch of machinations around that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's easy to do so. As Project Veritas showed, you just go over there and a lot of the people at the polling booths are not professional. A lot of them are Democrats spending their day there, especially if you're going into an area that you want to swing that way. Um, and they'll just say, no, it's fine. You don't even need ID, they said in this video. You just fill out your name here. Whatever name it may be, you can fill out a dead person's name in that box and vote there. And I'm sure uh, people understand this, but they take them to different states and stuff because when those are the when you've got like California, you know it's going to go to Hillary. There's not a universe where it's not going to go Democrat. So you take those people, a good chunk of them, and move them to another state where you need more Democrat votes. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of gerrymandering or gerrymandering, where you kind of change the lines of election areas to make sure you can win more areas. It's it's like that, except you're just moving the voters instead of the election lines. <laughs> Right. So I think a lot of this stuff is going to be a problem. And I think the one we mentioned it briefly, but I wanted to spend a minute or two on it as well. The mainstream media and and how relentless they are in being pro-Democrat. And in America, I think it was 96% of reporters donated to the Democrat Party. That to me is a form of rigging the election as well. The, the information you choose yeah. to present, the information you choose to withhold, the spin you give on ev- everything, the language you use, the pictures you use, you know, like it's always that picture of Donald Trump doing this, you know, and it's always a picture of Hillary Clinton with that weird, swept, dyed, what color, I don't know, hair, looking stern and, and very presidential and not like the cadaverous crypt keeper of death that she seems to be in the Middle East. And so it's everything is is so manipulated. Um, and I think was it Giuliani who said that uh, if it wasn't for the media, Trump would be ahead like fifteen points. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's it's the type of people that get into journalism. I remember my my boss, Ezra Levant. He did a speech for a bunch of university students. It was the Canadian Society of Young Writers or something like that. It was just a bunch of university journalism students, and he started asking them questions. He said, "Put up your hand if you are pro life." And no one put up their hand. This was a room of a couple hundred people, right? Put up your hand if you have any skepticism towards climate change. Put up your hand uh, if you think we need more traditionalism or less immigration. No one put up their hand. And he said, you're sitting here and telling me the media is diverse. You're telling me it has you, you have different opinions here and you're presenting something new and interesting. 
And he went back to each of those topics and he's like, 50% of Canadians or whatever it is are pro-life. You have this amount of Canadians that want less immigration. It's now 68% of Canadians that want assimilation from minorities. You don't represent half of Canada. You don't represent a huge chunk of people. So the media are not representing so many Americans, which is kind of a saving grace for some of us who are hoping for a Trump win, that a lot of what the media is saying is not what people are saying at their dinner tables at night. A lot of what they're saying is what they want to come into volition. It's what they want. It's not what the society necessarily wants to hear. But they are certainly influencing uh, the people who get all of their information from uh, BuzzFeed and their Facebook timelines and Huffington Post. I mean, I won't lie, that is extremely effective. Well, and to be fair to the leftists, they are very engaged in diversity in that they welcome all ethnicities, all cultures, all religions that vote for the left. Uh, and that's really, really important to remember that they, if you vote for the left, you can have forearms growing out of your forehead uh, and they'll like wel welcome you as, I don't know, a, a heavily applauding other kin. Uh, and yeah. uh, if you vote left, doesn't matter where you come from, you are absolutely welcome. Uh, if you don't vote left, see, it, it, they're very pro-women, pro-woman um, if, if you're a woman who votes for the left. If you're a woman who doesn't vote for the left, I mean, it's just target after target. I mean, look at how the left treated people like Ayn Rand, uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, mm -hmm. uh, Sarah Palin. I mean, you've had some... Ooh, let's talk about that. <laughs> you've had some interactions with people who didn't seem to be respecting your uh, female personal space uh, enormously. Well, it's male now, so anyone can punch me. <laughs> right, then you violate you now totally completely, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was so funny. There's a Black Liberation Coalition at the University of Toronto here, and their whole message is, we stand up for black people. We love black people. And I was at a free speech rally there, and they had an Ethiopian man speaking on the mic, talking about how his father had his speech suppressed and was so happy to come to Canada for this new culture of free speech. The leader of the Black Liberation Coalition was sitting there yelling in the audience, Coon! nigger like loudly at this Ethiopian guy because he disagreed with them and it's like wow you really stand up for black liberation except this young Ethiopian boy who disagrees with you he doesn't get any of that black liberation he gets called a Uncle Tom and a coon by the black liberation coalition it was unreal to watch um oh the left and blacks that's a probably a whole other show um and of course you and I as <laughs> I'm really hoping that doesn't become a gif of me. Yeah, yeah. Yelling. We, we can we can replace that with nougat or Nigeria or Nantucket. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, if if you are a, a black who votes left, um, they they're your absolute friend. Uh, if you're a black uh, who doesn't, uh, you know, if you're like Clarence Thomas or Herman uh, uh, Cain uh, and uh, people like that, uh, or, or even Bill Cosby, who, you know, when he was uh, uh, more on the left or more moderate, was protected from his predatory or seemingly predatory behavior towards women. But yeah. the moment he started talking about uh, blacks making better decisions in their lives, black responsibility for things. Well, of course, if blacks start taking responsibility for things, they don't need as much of the Democrat uh, to, to give them stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're, you're one of the protected classes, no matter what. If you vote left, you are protected class and then they'll just pretend it's about your race your gender or whatever it is but, until they get in power and then yeah, you well, get no help. <laughs> then, then then it's yeah it's the voting booty call you know hey man it's been great i uh i gotta go it's two o'clock in the morning i got an important business meeting somewhere across town so i you know it's been it's been bye <laughs> and vanish yeah so yeah i mean uh, i i think that's um important to understand as well when you were trying to figure out what motivates the left well 
Um, it, it's whatever, whoever will vote for them, whoever will give them power that they don't have to actually debate with. Uh, I think they're, they're always going to be very positive towards you. But if there's anything about you, regardless of your race or gender or ethnicity or anything, if there's anything about you that threatens uh, their power or threatens their narrative, right? I mean, they had to destroy uh, Kane because he was a 100% black guy running against a half black guy. And so he would have had more black bona fides uh, when he was running against Obama. So they had to invent all yeah. of this stuff to uh, destroy him. Uh, and it's all bec- it's all about the power. They're, they're power junkies. They're power addicts. And, and people say, of course, well, maybe the Republicans are the same way. And I certainly think the Republicans like the rhinos, the guys who are in there now, who's been, who've been appeasing everyone and who've been, you know, as a Tea Party was another great failed, you know, why is there Trump? Well, because there was the IRS stuff, right? Where their, their, their voting rights, their organizational rights were sub- suppressed. Uh, there was, um, uh, Benghazi where information was suppressed, which helped get the Democrats yeah. into power. There was the Tea Party, which is, which, the, which was the Trump 1.0. Trump two, like the new Trump is a Trump 2.0. Trump 1.0 was the Tea Party where they said, okay, we're going to get a bunch of guys. We're going to work like crazy, you're going to get them into Washington, and they're going to help uh, control and reduce the size and power of the state. And then they just stuck their faces into the trough like every other politician who'd gone before them. And so Trump is like the last chance. It's the last chance for people to have what they want uh, in, in a sort of procedural manner. Uh, and uh, well, I, you know, I do shudder to think what's going to happen without it. Outside of, of course, just the potential of nuclear war with Russia over Syria, um, I, I sort of, I, I'm sort of concerned about what's going to come afterwards. Um, I'm not concerned from Trump. You know, there was this weird gotcha question uh, around. You know, are you going to support the outcome of the election? Yeah. And uh, of course, what they're basically, in my view, what they're basically asking for permission for is, if he says yes, then they can just go and do whatever they want to rig the election. That's sort of my belief. Yeah, it's like, exactly. well, you said you were going to accept it, so now you can't change your mind because you said you were going to. So the fact that he said, no, I'm going to wait and see what happens, well, of course. I mean, just like Al Gore, you know, took took the 2000 election to court and tried to get it overturned, and nobody said, well, you know, he's destroying democracy. Well, of course, it was the left, right? So they protect their own. And um, that kind of gotcha question seems to be coming up a lot. It gives them something to talk about other than the fact that Hillary kept dodging questions about corruption. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Pretend there was no, a... It's please make your own question out of my statements and go from there. I, I, have, some, I have some thoughts on that, especially with the uh, Democrats. I think the scariest thing, and I'm not necessarily talking about liberals, I'm talking about the Democratic Party. One of the scariest thing of, things about them for me is if society has a very, very, very big issue they have to deal with, like an inherent problem at the core. They are never going to be the one that is going to confront it or try to change it or fix it because they are about democracy. They are about, they're the Democrats. Whatever everyone else wants, we're going to do. So if we're on a really scary path as a society, for example, this, uh, this one time when there was slavery in America, the Democrats said, well, the majority of people support slavery. So we support slavery too. We're not going to try to correct that. We're going to try to get the most votes possible from people. Now, Trump sees we're headed towards going off a cliff with our immigration problem. Right now, you've got a lot of people that are like, ah, I see no problem with immigration. 83% Democrats of Americans. Democrats going to try to correct it. Yeah, 83% of Americans, that's a huge majority, like a crazy majority. And that includes, of course, a lot of immigrants. 83% of Americans want immigration levels frozen or reduced. That's... And I would imagine more the latter and probably quite significantly. But of course, mm-hmm. that Democratic majority doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um, it's whoever is going to vote for them. If if uh, 10 years from now and we decide we want to uh, start a genocide against white men, well, God knows the Democrats will say, well, the majority of people want it. <laughs> let's, let's go right for it. Now, I'm not necessarily saying they'd actually do that. But I mean, historically, 
the Democrats did support slavery, and today they support whatever the majority wants, whether that be um, making a bunch of ridiculous transgender laws, using the woman card, using um, giving everyone free stuff is probably one of the best examples, just whatever you want right now, no matter what impact it has on the future. I want to go back quickly to um, journalism and the media for a second as well, because as much as I am afraid of... Uh, the lying, very left-wing media. I think something that is a upcoming and significant threat is the media that is posing as impartial, free speech, libertarian, but is bought out. For example, let's talk about Heat Street for a minute. Now they had Louise Mensch sending well, okay, emails. So hang on. To I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but but just to yeah. put this in context for people, um, yeah. <clears throat> I come from a strongly libertarian background. Uh, I assume that you have some libertarian leanings. Um, and my relationship with libertarianism has become somewhat fractious of late, uh, as, as maybe you, and I just want to read, a um, cause this was in my notes. I wanted just to talk about this before the end. Um, so you had a tweet which said, denounce the alt-right hard and you can write for reason and heat street. They won't let us, they won't let me write anything anti-Hillary. Uh, so can you sort of explain to people, uh, context, Canadian listeners may not have heard of the uh, alt-right or whatever, uh, and just give a, a sort of a bigger context of, of where, libertarianis, uh, where libertarianism is in regards to some of the big issues that are flo floating around the election at the moment. Oh boy, well that's, that's the issue. You've kind of <laughs> no, got no a pressure. split right now in uh, libertarianism. You've got the libertarians that are quite aware that we're never going to live in the society where everyone is um, <laughs> maximum utility creators with some sociopathic tendencies. We're not going to live in that society. Sorry, <laughs> it just doesn't exist. But we can work our hardest to get a society that is the most free. We're not necessarily going to have no government, but we can work our hardest to get the most free society possible with the means we have possible, which right now means freezing immigration. Sorry, Open borders, not going to happen anytime soon. Sorry, all of these libertarian fantasies, not going to happen anytime soon. There are some decisions we have to make uh, to be practical. And Trump right now is a very practical decision for a lot of libertarians who want to see a potential win for a more freedom-oriented party in the future. That win will never happen if too much mass immigration from the third world happens, especially from Mexico, where everyone votes Democrat and where everyone votes large government. You understand that very well. Your viewers understand that very well. But then you've got this other side of libertarianism that has kind of gone on the never, never Trump and very, um, they, they hate Trump. They're very uh, focused on principles, my principles. I'm a good principled libertarian. But what confuses me is some of these people have also sold out to Hillary Clinton. And some of these people are just in it for their own personal gain kind of posing as libertarians and one of those people i'd say sorry i've gone on a tangent here we were talking no about heat street now we're <laughs> trying to explain the libertarian divide um but do you want me to go back to journalism or keep explaining the libertarian divide i will i'll let you stay in charge of the train okay, okay. uh but if i explain that tweet for a minute um heat street and reason they're two very libertarian sites now uh they've kind of gone very I don't know if the Heat Street, certainly Louise Mensch, the, the person who writes for, or the, I guess, owner, she's not, Rupert Murdoch kind of owns Heat Street and Louise Mensch right now, and, but she's running it. She's the editor in chief. And she was found in the emails that were leaked by WikiLeaks to have sent emails to Hillary wanting to write some of her advertisements and wanting to write some of her campaign stuff and help her out, which is crazy because they claim to be this libertarian 
site. They claim to be interested in anti-SGW, free speech, all of this. So it kind of seems like controlled opposition, especially when, keep this on the down low, I have friends of mine who have written for the site. I've also written an article as well that um, have said they haven't been allowed to publish anti-Trump articles. They, or they haven't been, sorry, they haven't been allowed to publish pro-Trump articles on Heat Street. They've just said no and they've had to publish it somewhere else and they were perfectly good articles um, and they've been pushed to publish pro-Hillary stuff and not anti-Hillary stuff and it's just the way that their articles are being rejected and accepted and paid for has just been very strange to them and it's all been towards a slant pro-Hillary and then you find these emails uh, with Louise Mensch supporting Hillary as well as I was told by someone that uh, I could get a position and I shouldn't be saying this but I'm going to anyways whatever it's going to be out there that I could get a position writing for reason in hate street if I really really strongly denounced the alt-right now <laughs> I'm not a big person on going around and being disavow disavow I may certainly disagree with some things on the alt-right but I'm not going to be forced to sit here and disavow people so I can get money for writing for sites I'm sorry I'm not going to do it uh, this wasn't necessarily an editor who told me this, but it was someone who was very close with uh, both these publications that told me this. And sorry to interrupt, but it, it, the basic principle is, can you be honest with your audience? Now, if you were to take these positions and say, well, I took this position on the condition that this would be the opinions that I'm allowed or not allowed to present, you can't be honest because then people would not want to read what you've got because you'd be a paid exactly. chill. So I, I try to resist anything which would interfere with my capacity to be honest and direct with the audience. Uh, and I, I think that's a really, exactly. really good principle. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I I work for The Rebel, because I've never had... I, I am allowed to talk about anything I want. I've never had a video suggested or knocked down because of what I've talk, talked about. And that's the... I will not work somewhere where they're going to control what I say. I have friends who have had the same thing. They've uh, worked in the mainstream media before, and they've been told, you have to... What's going to happen with this business relationship when our views don't match? Are you going to be able to move over to our views like we're okay with keeping you on as the token conservative for a bit but eventually you're gonna have to move over and agree with us on abortion agree with us on this and it's like so much of it in the mainstream media and not even the mainstream in just sites that are up and coming are controlled narrative and you have to look at who's funding them what their kind of agenda is everyone has an agenda everyone has an agenda um luckily mine is free speech and mine is uh Honesty, that's a lot of my agenda. Of course, I like uh, getting followers and I like the success in journalism that I've had. But um, I know way too many people and way too many sites that do have very strong agendas in certain directions for certain politicians, for certain corporations. Um, and you really have to look into I sound so conspiratorial right now. No, listen, <laughs> I, I have apologize. Uh, after, um, I mean, this, this election cycle has legitimized so many beliefs that were formerly credibly labeled as conspiracy theories. You know, the number of times uh, I see comments or get messages where people were like, whoa, this thing that this guy said a couple of years ago, everybody thought was crazy. And now it's completely documented, you know, and and, and right. I, I think that the term conspiracy theory needs to be retired f almost permanently, because uh, it is, of course, not an argument. And so many, uh, oh, the media is colluding with the Democrats. Oh, that's just a crazy conspiracy. Nope, black and white right there. You know, I mean, there's mm -hmm. voter fraud occurring, black and white right there. We think that the Democrats might be inciting violence. Oh, that's that's a no. So the conspiracy theory is like, 
it, it needs to be retired until we run out of conspiracy theories that turn out to be actual facts. Then we can maybe bring it back after a couple of years, but give it a rest because it, not you, but the, give the term a rest as a whole because it has been so validated recently that, um, Anybody who uses it, I think, uh, in any kind of real way is not going to have a lot of credibility to those of us who are following the unraveling of these narratives. And uh, what you were getting to earlier was whenever something, you were talking about voter fraud, they call it voter fraud. It's all crazy. It's all nonsense because they're going to use it for their own benefit. So when you have people calling out this collusion, of course, they're going to call you conspiracy theorists. Of course, they're going to call you all these names. I was talking to a professor a few weeks ago. We were just having a sit down and I mentioned the long march through the institutions, kind of the postmodernist Marxist march through the institutions to bring in this whole PC uh, very left of Marxist viewpoints. And he was like, yep, how do you, that's absolutely happening, right? Um, and a lot of professors know it's happening, but the people who are participating in this long march through the institutions aren't going to run around saying it's happening. They're going to call you crazy when you point it out because that's in their own interest. It's in their own interest to call people who are calling them out conspiracy theorists and to uh, deny all of it. I mean, why wouldn't they? You see Hillary on the stage every single day saying, uh, lying about what happened with her emails, even though we have the facts. We have the facts right there in front of us. She's saying, that didn't happen, that didn't happen, they weren't classified, they weren't classified. And we have the facts. We have all the videos we can look at, but they will lie and lie and lie and lie for their own benefit. So, I mean, call me a conspiracy theorist. Call a lot of the alternative conspiracy theorists, but just look at the facts. Look at the facts for yourself. Well, and the facts are, are pretty clear. I mean, my message to... Uh, libertarians, and I still have friends who are libertarians, but my message to libertarians is if there is to be a free society, we need a rational, evidence-based conversation to continue in society. Yes. And there are cultures outside Western cultures that don't have that particular tradition. I mean, just look at the spread of free speech around the world and look at the people who advocate for separation of church and state. Check out how big Austrian economics is in, say, Venezuela. Uh, check out uh, how big uh, objectivism is uh, in, in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, all you need to do is look at the cultures where people are coming from. And there is a culture in the West of, and it goes all the way back, as I've mentioned before, to John Milton's Pagetica, one of the great arguments for free speech, you know, uh, bad ideas should be given more exposure so everyone can see how bad the ideas are. It's like a bowl of fruit. You know, if, if the light's on, you can see which one is rotten and not eat it. If the light's off, you're going to get a big old mouthful of fungus and worms. So keep the lights on yeah. and we can see which fruit is good and which fruit is not. Uh, this took, you could say, I mean, given that Socrates was killed for free speech, it's taken 2,500 years of recorded history to get to the shaky standard of free speech that we're able to maintain. It's pretty shaky in Europe with all this hate crime stuff. Uh, it's it's pretty shaky in political correct stuff. Uh, it, it's pretty shaky on campuses where there's, you know, bomb threats and all for Milo Yiannopoulos' tour and so on. So after 2,500 years of brain-bending effort and countless people being burned at the stake, going to jail, killed in wars, we've got this kind of shaky, mm -hmm. jank, half Jenga, half house of cards edifice of free speech. But there are other cultures that don't even have have it as a value like we have a yeah. value that it's kind of hard to balance with a lot of people who want to change it but at least it's a value you say free speech there are so many other cultures around the world it's not a value at all and so if we're going to have a free society we need to keep the philosophical uh, the economic the value-based conversation going the political conversation going when you bring a lot of people in with cultures that have no particular history and dedication towards free speech you don't get to keep that conversation going you simply don't and 
We can't get there without a conversation uh, and without free speech. And so if you're bringing people in who don't value free speech or, you know, the Mexicans, we've, we've got the uh, studies uh, on, on our website, they want um, more benefits and lower taxes. Hello, Venezuela. <laughs> you know, these things can't fit together. And so what I say to, to libertarians is, yes, absolutely, let's get to a smaller state. But in order to do that, we have to have a, a, a culture and an environment where free speech can still occur. And what weakened free speech so considerably in Europe was incompatible cultures that everyone's afraid are going to go tinderbox on each other. And uh, when you have this kind of problem coming in, uh, you are going to inevitably um, uh, de degrade free speech. And when free speech gets significantly degraded, the opportunity for a freer society falls to zero. Yeah. Ironically enough, freedom is not free. It's always had to be fought for. It's always had to be defended and protected. It's not something that is... People don't come out of the womb as libertarians studying the NAP. <laughs> they just don't do that. that does Although they do like their naps. Oh, yes, I can't don't. believe I made that joke. I apologize <laughs> to everyone. That's a dad joke. You know, that's that's like watching your dad dance to uh, the Sugar Plum Fairy. I apologize for that joke as a whole. The next I'm going to be pear-shaped. All right. Well, th uh, thanks, of course, Lauren. A great uh, chance to chat. A great conversation as always. Uh, look forward to people's comments uh, below. Uh, like, subscribe, and share uh, this video. And please, please remember to go to therebel.media slash Lauren Southern. We'll put all the links below. Follow her on Twitter. She's a wonderful and engaging uh, tweeter-ish person. So uh, thanks so much for all of the work that you're doing, for the great videos and content that you produce, for the courage that you show uh, in, in the reporting that you're doing. Always a great chat, uh, and I hope we can do it again soon. Thank you so much for having me.